Today, Pastor Javen concludes our series entitled, Starts Here. And we will see the power of stopping for others, especially those who are marginalized. So take a moment now and prepare your heart for today's service. Well, I'm glad to, uh, to be back with you today, and, um, and I'm looking forward to, uh, to today's message. There's probably a lot about me that can, uh, where I can fall under the stereotypical male category. I don't say that to boast, okay? I'm, not saying, I'm saying that to acknowledge, I realize, okay? And that when there are things about me that fall into the stereotypical male category that might not be the best thing, I try to work on those. I try to fix those. One, for instance, is the way I travel. Um, and, and the way I, I, I go, when, when I go places, I like to get there. Okay. Um, I don't like to stop a lot. The fan of Bucky's, you can have it. I'm not interested. Uh, I, I mean, it, you know, I, I, I like to go right. I, I when, when I'm, I don't want to stop. I just want to go. And so now the older I get, the harder that gets, but I want to get there. I, I want and, and so I, I, when we do have to stop, I like to limit my stops to a NASCAR pit stop type stop, right? I mean, we're getting in, we're getting out, we're doing, let's see, how could, can we beat our last record? Timer on, let's go, right? I mean, we, we want to get this done. And I've had this mentality for so long. I took this mentality with me when I came to, to, to end the youth ministry and I took youth trips. This was how I was. We got on the bus, we went and I told them, we'll stop when I'm ready to stop. So hold it until then. And then we're, and, and then we're in and out. Let's go now. And you know, stop. Stopping for just a, um, you, yourself, or a handful of people, that's one thing. Stopping with a big group of teenagers, it's a totally different thing. Especially when you stop at a gas station, and they go in and they feel the need to buy big gulps every time they stop. And that, you know what that does down the road. And, then, and not only that, they're spending every bit of the money they have for the whole week on the first gas station stop to buy 20 snacks. And I'm having to tell them later in the week, no, you can't eat because you spent all your money. I'm not buying you food. But anyway... I'm glad, I'm glad he wasn't my youth pastor. But anyway, it's hard. It's hard to do that. And, but this was my mentality until I got married. And my wife, when she went on one of the first youth trips with me, she told me, Javen, these kids are afraid to ask you to stop. To which my reply was, good. I'm glad. I'm glad that they are afraid to ask me to stop. That's what I've been going for. And she says, no, Javen, that's not good. Because some of the people on your trip are young ladies and ladies have to stop more than guys. I said, okay, okay, I get it. I get it. So I said, we'll, we'll solve that. And so from, from now on, every trip will just be guys. It's just going to be guys. Every trip that we take. No, I'm kidding. It's a joke. So I realized then, I was like, okay, I feel bad now. I feel bad. I need to, I need to be more conscientious of stopping you know, even when I don't necessarily want to stop because I understand I'm stopping for someone else's need that's not my need to stop for. So in other words, basically what I try to do is I've tried to become more conscientious of stopping for other people's needs, right? And, uh, you know, it's, I think I've gotten better at that in traveling uh, and, 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 and on our trips and things like that. But I, I wonder sometimes how good I am at it just at life in general and stopping for other people's needs. We're concluding this series that we've been in the last, uh, this is week five, uh, looking at starts here. And, um, and we've been talking about how the mission of God starts right here where we are. Um, it, it's the mission of God, the, doing missions for God is just the mission of God at work in our life. And, and that can start right where we are 
every day of our life. It's that opportunity we have. The disciples were told to, to, that they had been empowered to be his witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. But notice that it started right where they were in Jerusalem. And then it spread out. Right. If, if you're if you're not doing it, I'll issue this challenge. If you're not doing it where you are, when you go off to do it, you're only going on a trip. OK, you've got to do it where you are. Right. Uh, I mean, and so the mission of God, it needs to be at work in your life every day of your life. And so we've been looking at the fact that we want to make the world better. We've got to point the world to the one who is the best way. And that's Jesus Christ. The only definition of better comes through Jesus Christ. Right? I mean, that's the only way that anything is going to be made better. So we looked at this and Pastor Caleb and we too talked to us about making the world better around us and seeing the opportunities we have around us every day to point the next generation to Jesus Christ. The next, we have people in our life around us who are a part of the next generation. It, it, it may be through children. It may be through grandchildren. It may be through cousins. It may be through aunts and uncles. It may be through you in the school system. It, it, there's so many different ways you have opportunities with the next generation around you. It can be right here in this church. You have opportunities with the next generation around you to point them to the one who is the best way. And that is Jesus Christ. We, we looked at the fact that how Jesus wants to work through you, even in your pain, even in your grief, even in your hurt, even in your discomfort in life, Jesus, the Holy spirit will come and comfort you so that you can comfort others. He works in you still, even through those dark moments in life, he still wants to work through you. Last week, Pastor Brian talked to us about how God wants to work through us and use us in our community. God wants to work through us. And we're going to look at one more passage today, and we're going to see a scenario that's kind of similar to what I was just talking about. Where Jesus was on a journey. Jesus was traveling to a destination, and he stopped along his way. It was going to be in Mark chapter 10, and we're going to start in verse 46. Mark chapter 10, start at verse 46. Mark writes, he tells us these words. He says, then they reached Jericho. And as Jesus and his disciples left town, a large crowd followed him. A blind beggar named Bartimaeus, son of Timaeus, was sitting beside the road. And when Bartimaeus heard that Jesus of Nazareth was nearby, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Be quiet. Many of the people yelled at him, but he only shouted louder. Son of David, have mercy on me. And when Jesus heard him, he stopped and said, tell him to come here. So they called the blind man. Cheer up. They said, come on, he's calling you. And Bartimaeus threw aside his coat. He jumped up and he came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked My rabbi, the blind man said, I want to see. And Jesus said to him, go, for your faith has healed you. And instantly the man could see. And he followed Jesus down the road. Now, the story of of Bartimaeus and this encounter, this is one commentator put it, he said, it's the gospel in a microcosm. Because basically what's happening here is Jesus is, is on his journey to Jerusalem. And this is kind of an event that segues into the passion event. If you don't know what I mean by the passion event, passion is the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's what our Easter holiday is it, what it celebrates. 
I'm not saying that because I think you're ignorant. I'm saying some people just don't know that. The passion event, that's what was taking place. So it kind of segues that. And Jesus responds to this man's blindness by healing him. And it's a, it's a, it's a way to point to the fact that what he's doing is bringing sight to all of mankind. He was the one that the Isaiah prophesied about that said, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. See, in the same way that Jesus can heal a blind man, literally for his sight, he can heal us in our spiritual blindness. I mean, the apostle Paul, he was Saul before he was Paul. He changed his name. The Bible doesn't just talk about this. History talks about this. That there was a man, my name was Saul, who was a Pharisee. He did not like those who were traveling and continuing to proclaim the name of Jesus Christ and say that there was a resurrected Jesus Christ. He didn't like it, so he was trying to stop it. He was trying to arrest people. He was trying to get people killed because they were doing this until he himself saw a resurrected Jesus Christ. And then he changes his course. He changes his whole life direction and he says, I don't need to just change my direction. I need to change my name and signify my whole identity has been changed because of his encounter with Jesus Christ. And so Paul, he, history tells us he established churches all over the East. And to one of those churches in Corinth, he writes back to them and he tells them this. He says, the God of this world has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. That's the goal of the enemy. The goal of the enemy is to blind us, to keep us from being able to see everything that Jesus wants to show us. He does it to those who have never met Jesus and he still continues to try to blind you even as you begin to follow Christ. In fact, next week we're going to start a series. We did a series last summer called Summer Reading. We're going to do another one starting next week. And it's based, and and I'm, I'm gleaning from a book that I read. It's called To My Friend Who Left the Faith. I mean, this whole concept of deconstructing is huge all around us right now. Deconstructing church, deconstructing the faith, deconstructing Christianity. And I want us to look at that because the enemy is blinding the eyes of those so that they don't believe. And I want us to look at it, not so that we can have ammunition to come at, but so that we truly know how to approach this to protect ourselves and how we can truly approach those that we love who may be blinded. But Jesus in this moment, as he's saying... I've come to bring sight, not just physically to people who can't see, but to those who are spiritually blind. And think about this. Bartimaeus couldn't see, but he could hear. He could hear. He heard the people around him talking about the fact that Jesus was coming around because those who, who, who are blind, their hearing is heightened, right? They can hear better because this, they don't have sight. So this sense is increased. The Scientific American tells us that normal uh, people that can, can see, your normal level of hearing is up to 10 syllables per second. So in, in that regard, you think of the fast speaking person at the end of a radio ad or a television ad that's talking really fast and trying to say the things that you they don't want you to hear, but you really need to hear. Right? Uh, that's that, 10 syllables per second. And that's what they say the person that can see, that's the average normal amount of hearing, 10 syllables per second. Scientific American says that people who are blind can hear 25 syllables per second. Because your hearing is increased. I truly believe that this is why Jesus said in several different occasions, he said, he that has ears to hear, hear. 
In other words, don't just look and try to see and understand. Listen. Listen to what the word of God is saying right in front of you. Listen to the Holy Spirit. Jesus sent us his Holy Spirit so that he can guide us. He can lead us. He can direct us. He's saying, listen, because our sight can affect our faith. Think back to a couple of weeks ago when, I, when, I, when we were looking at Jesus feeding the 5,000 and we went on in the, that passage of scripture and we saw that Peter began to walk on the water. But as soon as he looked around him, he dropped. Our sight can affect our faith. And Jesus is saying, you need to listen. Not just look, but listen. This is just one more stop along the way where Jesus is saying, look, you've been waiting on the Messiah and the Messiah is here. He's right in front of you. I am the Messiah, Jesus is saying. Old Testament prophecy pointed to the Messiah who would heal the blind. Jesus is the only one that healed the blind the way he did it. He healed. There was a time when John the Baptist sent his his disciples, his messengers, and he sent them back to Jesus to ask him about who he was. We'll talk about this in just a couple of weeks in our series. But they go to him and Jesus says, go back and tell John. He says, telling this, and he quotes the prophet Isaiah and he says, tell him the blind can see. Why does he tell him to tell John that? Because the Messiah is the one who would heal the blind. Jesus is saying the Messiah is right here in front of you. And Jesus has been doing his earthly ministry. This is about the third year now. And he's on his way to Jerusalem. He's traveling to Jerusalem. He's traveling for one more Passover. This was the third Passover and a part of his adult ministry that he had been a part of. And he's traveling to his last and final Passover where he wouldn't just celebrate it, but where he would become the ultimate sacrificial Passover lamb. And he knew this and he was on this journey. He had a destination to get to. And Jericho was one of Jesus's last stops before getting to his place, before he began his literal ascent to Jerusalem. Jerusalem was 3,300 feet above Jericho. I went to the mountains this past week. My family and I did. I'm glad we drove and didn't walk up to the mountains. All right. Can't imagine, but this was what they were doing. And a couple of things I want to point out here. There's crowds surrounding Jesus, but there's a couple of dynamics here with the crowds. Where Jesus went, there was always a crowd because Jesus, people followed Jesus. They want to hear what he was going to say. They want to see what he was going to do. But in this situation too, there was crowds who were traveling to Jerusalem for the Passover. This is what people did. They traveled. Uh, it, there would just be masses of people traveling to Jerusalem for Passover. Think Saturdays on the interstate in the, sun, in, in the summer, right? I mean, there's just masses of people traveling. So you got huge crowds doing this. But we also need to make note of in Jesus's day, there were two different Jerichos. There was the old ancient Jericho. This was the Jericho where Joshua fit the battle of Jericho. You remember that? It's where we looked at a couple of, uh, back in May at our Her Story series, and we learned about Rahab, who was the great to the way back grandmother of Jesus. That was her hometown. It was the old ancient Jericho. But there was a new Herodian Jericho. It was a Jericho that had been established under the leadership and under the reign of Herod. This was the Jericho that everybody, that, 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 uh, that Zacchaeus lived. Maybe you remember about Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was a wee little man, a wee little man was he. Climbed up in the sycamore tree so Jesus, he could see, right? I mean, it was, that was Zacchaeus. That's where he lived. And so 
it's important to know that because a lot of people will take this because Matthew, Mark, and Luke, all three of the writers of these gospels, they all talk about this story and this encounter of when Jesus healed the blind. And Matthew and Mark talk, say, maybe you caught it in there. He said, as he was leaving. And Matthew talks about as he was leaving. Well, if you read Luke's encounter, it says right before he was arriving or just upon his arrival. And people will jump there and say, see, this is where you can't believe the Bible. This is where you can't believe the Gospels because they contradict themselves. They contradict each other. But we can't be so quick to write that off. Because what, what, what's happening is Jesus is leaving the old ancient area of Jericho and he's going into the new Herodian Jericho. It's both and. All right. He's leaving and he's going in. And, and we know this because Luke begins to talk right after he tells the encounter of Jesus healing the blind man. That's when he goes in to talk about how Jesus met Zacchaeus. He's entered into that new region of Jericho. There's another thing that people try to point out. They say, well, Matthew says that there are two blind men. Mark and Luke only say that there are one blind man. Well, history tells us there were probably multiple blind beggars and multiple beggars all along this journey. That's why they traveled in crowds because this journey could be uh, another reason they traveled because this journey could be dangerous because there were beggars and there were thieves all along and they were trying to take what they can get. Matthew tells us there's two that are, that are crying out and Mark and Luke tells us that there's one probably because he's the louder of the two. And then Mark names the one and says it's Bartimaeus. Bartimaeus was calling out to Jesus and all three of the gospels tells us, they all tell us that they regained their sight and they immediately began to follow Jesus. And that word to follow means that they, they, they took upon themselves to travel the same road that Jesus was traveling. But it was also a word that used to describe those who were disciples of Jesus because they, or, dis, or just disciples, because a disciple follows the road and follows the way of the one who is discipling them. Luke tells us that they didn't just begin to follow Jesus. They glorified and they praised Jesus. So there was, a, there was something that had happened and transpired in, in their life where they literally began to walk the same road as Jesus and they figuratively began to follow Jesus in their life and in his teachings and what he did. And Mark names him. Now this is where the story gets powerful. Not that the fact that he, he healed a blind man isn't powerful enough, but this is where I want us to dig a little bit and see the power in this, that Mark names Bartimaeus and calls him by his name. Why is that significant? The fact that Mark knows his name means that Bartimaeus became known. Bartimaeus became a follower of Christ and it appears that he followed Jesus beyond the cross. That he was a part of the early church. And Mark points out to him and he tells this story that Jesus heals this man who had been begging on the side of the road. He heals him. His name's Bartimaeus. He, see, when someone calls you by your name, it makes you feel a lot better than when they just say, hey, you, right? You feel known. You feel identified. You feel loved. Unless both of your names are being called. Then you're like, uh-oh, what's happening? But it... Bartimaeus, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar. Someone that sat on the side of the road, ignored, overlooked, tossed to the side by everyone. Now they know his name. The unknown, now known. 
This wasn't unusual in this culture. This culture, our culture, we do exactly what they did then. We basically have a caste system by which we live by. And we put people in different places in these castes. And we look at these different levels of caste depending on what level we live in, right? We can be honest. We, we do this. We call it, at least in our nation, you've got the middle class, the lower class, and the upper class. Right? And each class looks at the other class in different ways. This was the way that, this is what was happening in, in this place. But when Jesus began to walk this earth, he turned this whole thinking of a human caste on his head. He didn't look at people. Jesus, Jesus would spend time with those who were in the higher caste, who were despised because of their position. And he would spend time with those in the lower caste who were shunned because of their status. And he spent time and loved on those in between. He ignored it. The, 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 the way we looked at people didn't, didn't mean anything to Jesus. He would make statements like the last will be first, the first will be last. He would tell people, he would say, when you throw a party, you need to invite the blind, the lame, the poor, the cripple. Why? Because he was teaching them what it meant to have the heart of a servant. Just before the passage we read in Mark, just before... Uh, where Mark writes about that and about the encounter with Bartimaeus, just before that, he writes about James and John going to Jesus and saying, hey, Jesus, um, when you establish your throne on this earth and, and you set up your earthly kingdom, because this is what they thought he was going to do. He was going to be the, the, he's the Messiah that was going to reign on this earth and overtake Rome. When you set your throne up, James and John are saying, can we get the seats right to your right and left? Because <laughs> that means we get to have the higher authority of all the others that's going to be sitting there. And then Jesus tells them this. He, he, we see it in Mark chapter 10, verses 44 and 45. It's right before what we read. He tells them this in Mark 10, verse 44. He says, whoever wants to be first among you must be the servant of everyone else. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. So this is what Jesus was saying. Listen, this is what he was saying. He said, we need to stop looking for status just be servants. That's hard. Because oftentimes, even when we serve, we want to be recognized for the fact that we served. Man, I really hope that they write about what I did for them on Facebook. You know? We take pictures. Look at what... Hey. for status. Just be a servant. And then Mark writes about that and he tells us how Jesus talks to his disciples about that. And then he doesn't, Mark shows us it's not something he just taught. It's something he demonstrated. And he goes on and he writes and he shows what he does, does for Bartimaeus. This is what Jesus did all throughout his earthly ministry. He reset boundaries. He restored dignity. And he brought value to those who were marginalized. I mean, Jesus himself, he knew what it was like to be on both ends. He knew what it was like to be heralded and proclaimed and talked about and put on a pedestal. And he knew what it was like to be marginalized. He was from a place called Nazareth. 
is where that saying comes. Can anything good come from Nazareth? That we hear that at Christmas time, but that was a popular saying all throughout the region because that's what people literally thought. Nothing good can come from Nazareth, especially royalty. Royalty is not coming from Nazareth. The title Jesus of Nazareth, that was not meant to, 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 to bring notoriety. That was a mockery. When the Pharisees would say that, when Pilate said that to Jesus, it was Jesus of Nazareth. Oh yeah, like you're royalty. You're coming from Nazareth, dude. You're not royalty. This was the mentality. And Bartimaeus in his hearing, he hears that Jesus, Mark tells us, Jesus of Nazareth is coming by. And, and, and Bartimaeus has to be thinking, this man who has marginalized himself, who is looked down upon, who's mocked, is making an impact on the world around him. And so he starts calling out to Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus, the one who was marginalized, reaches out and stops for those who are marginalized. And he embraces them. But I want to pause. I want to acknowledge a tension that comes in all of, the, in all of this. Because let's be honest. The way the people responded to Bartimaeus and the blind beggars and around them, the way they respond in this situation, let's be honest, that's often the way we respond. Look again at Mark chapter 10, verse 48. They're crying out, Son of David, Son of David, be quiet. This is what the people are saying. In other words, they're saying, you are not worthy for him to stop and talk to you. Now, we, not be, we may not be so harsh as to yell at them, hopefully, but we ignore, which can be just as bad. Why? Because we're just being honest. We often look at people as either takers or contributors. And we'll say, well, if they are contributors, then I'll contribute. But if all they do is take, I don't want to add to it. Jesus, Jesus tried to get us to redefine our measuring stick on how we help other people. He's like, that should not be your measuring stick on whether you just find someone as a taker or a contributor. It's the whole reason he told people to invite to your, when you throw your party, invite the lame, the crippled, the poor, the blind. The whole reason he told them that was so that because they can't invite you back. He's saying, stop contributing only to people who are going to contribute and contribute back to you. Give to those who can't give in return. But this is the tension, and but this is where it gets difficult because we're like, so do we do it for everybody? But I don't think Jesus left us without any kind of help. When his, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they all talk about when Jesus sent his disciples out to do ministry and he empowered them to go out and to do ministry throughout Jerusalem. In his instructions, he gives them a little bit more advice. And Matthew gives, shows us where Jesus gives them advice. In Matthew chapter 10, verse 16, we see it. He says, look, I'm sending you out as sheep among wolves. So you need to be as shrewd as snakes and as harmless as doves. Now, well, that's interesting, right? I mean, that's a, that's a, 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 a two totally contrarian dynamics. I mean, there's a, I mean, how can you be that? Now, I acknowledge that Jesus is, probably has in mind here the Pharisees where he realizes I'm sending out young disciples to travel and speak to these Pharisees and they're like wolves who are looking to attack the vulnerabilities of these sheep. 
So I acknowledge that I get that, but I believe that we can take this teaching and, I, and, and we can apply it to us because as Christians, as followers of Christ, there's an aspect about us that we, we talked about this in the series. We are to be compassionate. We are to be sensitive to other people's needs, but let's acknowledge there are wolves around us who want to take advantage of the sensitivities and the vulnerabilities of those like that. So I believe that we can take this teaching from Jesus that says to be as shrewd as serpents, to be innocent as doves, and we can apply it to our lives as well. And, and, and I mean, you, you're looking at, I'm being shrewd as a serpent. I mean, a, a serpent is a dangerous animal. If you don't think so, you're crazy, but a serpent is a dangerous animal. A dove is vulnerable to danger. And he says, you need to be as shrewd as a serpent. You need to be as innocent as a dove. And that word be, Greek scholars tell us it's written in the present imperative, which means it's not just a command to do in this one journey. You need to be this every day and be this all a part of your ministry, all a part of you serving me. You need to be this. So what is he saying? We're going to be shrewd as snake. That means shrewd, meaning we're going to have insight. It's not tarnished by foolishness. It's an understanding that comes with wisdom. It comes with insight. It's a discernment. Why do you have this? You have it so that you can't be taken advantage of and you can't be attacked. Easily attacked. And he says you're going to be innocent as dove. Meaning what? You're going to be pure. You're going to be without evil intent. You're not going to be deceitful to others. You're not going to be conniving to others. In other words, you're not going to try to take advantage of others. So I think a way that we can look at this in certain situations in our life, in situations like this, when we're looking and we're trying to discern, okay, God, do you want me to, to, to minister in this situation or to help in this situation? We need to look at it and say, don't take advantage of others, but don't be taken advantage of either. Listen, I, there's many times throughout the gospels that we see where Jesus himself, he did not perform a miracle for every person he encountered. When the, we talked about the feeding of the 5,000 just a couple of weeks ago. John, when he goes into the, to teaching us how Jesus is the bread of life, he gives us the, the comment where Jesus is looking at the crowd. The crowd's still following him after that event, and they're, they're wanting more. And Jesus says, the only reason you are following me is because I fed you. You don't want what the supernatural can actually do for you. So I'm not going to keep performing miracles as if I'm your circuit clown, circus clown. There's times when we see throughout the Gospels where the crowd was pressing up against Jesus and Jesus didn't stop for everyone in the crowd. For instance, with the woman with the issue of blood, it's, it, it, he's walking and the Gospels writers tell us the crowds were pressing up against Jesus. But then all of a sudden this woman comes and, and just touches just the hem of his garment. But the power of God moves through Jesus to her life because she's hungry, not just for a handout, but for God to do something in her life. And Jesus stops. Again, you think about the aspect that Jesus is traveling this road and there's multiple beggars, there's multiple people around, but the people who are hungry for more than just a handout are crying out to him. I'm not saying not, not to help people that are looking for him. I'm not, don't twist my words and say I'm saying that. I'm saying that we need to have discernment. This is again why we need to have our ears attuned to the Father and to the Holy Spirit. To know when he is calling us to do something. And it's in that moment of the beggars that Jesus chose to stop. Look again, Mark chapter 10, verse 49. When Jesus heard him, he stopped. Think about that. Think about how powerful that is. Think about, put yourself in that situation. With everything you know about what you've heard about Jesus Christ, 
If you're calling out to Jesus and all of a sudden he stops to acknowledge you. The New King James Version says that he stood still. Now, if you read our Jewish history in the Old Testament, maybe you recall a time when Joshua prayed in one of their battles for the sun to stand still. And as they're fighting, they prays for this so that this happens so that they can continue to fight in the daylight and, and God can use them. And Scripture tells us that the earth's rotation stopped so that daylight stayed longer and the sun stood still for them. In this moment, the blind beggar is crying out to the son of David. Why the son of David? Because this is the one that's going to take the throne. He's the son of David. He's going to take the throne. But he wasn't just the son of David. He was the son of God. And he's the son of man. The scripture tells us will return in glory to receive all of mankind. So the son of David, the son of God, the son of man stands still for the cries of these blind men. For the cries of Bartimaeus. And he stops. He stops his journey to meet their need. And then Jesus tells the crowd to call for him. <laughs> the same crowd that had been telling him to be quiet. Hey, tell him to come here. I mean, <laughs> that's just funny to me because Jesus could have probably said, hey, come here. But he tells them, he just told him to be quiet. You t- tell him to come here. That's the brilliance of Jesus. What you, he's getting to switch their conversation. Stop, change the way you talk about him. And he calls to him. And then Jesus asks him a very important, very powerful question. We see it in Mark chapter 10, verse 51. What do you want me to do for you? Because this, this is what's important. What are you really wanting? What are you wanting me to do for you? Bartimaeus didn't just want him to put something in the bag he was holding. He said, I want to see. Why? Because he knew if he could see, his whole life would be changed. And when you see Jesus, (laughs) your whole life changes. There is always a need around us that we can stop for. There's always a need. This is why we need to have our ears open. Not just looking at what we see around us all all day, every day, but have our ears open to the Holy Spirit and being sensitive to Him to know when He wants to stop in a specific, when, when He wants us to stop in a specific situation. Because greatness in the kingdom of God is stopping for the needs of others. That's what Jesus defined as greatness. It's us looking and saying, God, what do you want me to do for you by doing for someone out here? What do you want? How do you want to use me, God? We've got opportunities all around us to respond to the needs around us, to acknowledge other people's value. But not just to acknowledge their value where they may be overlooked. 
but to acknowledge their need for God. To point them, as we said from the very beginning, the one who is the better way, the best way, and that is Jesus Christ. So, you've got opportunities all around you to advocate for those marginalized in society. But here's what I want you to think about. As we close out today, as we spend a little bit of time worshiping God, reflecting on His Word, I want you to think about what is the need that you're not paying attention to because it's not your need? Who are the quote-unquote blind beggars that you're walking by every day? Only focused on what you have in front of you to do. Not listening for what God is calling you to do. God help us all in that regard. God help us not to just see, but to hear. Use us, God. Stand with me this morning. Heavenly Father, we we thank you for your word. We thank you for what you teach us through this. God, in this encounter that we learn about from Matthew, from Mark, from Luke, how you stopped in your journey. Knowing, Father, that knowing Jesus, that you had to give your life when you went to Jerusalem. Knowing what you were about to do, the greatest act of sacrifice, even still you stop for one more small moment. God help us. Help us today to have that same heart. Help us, Father, to not just be focused on what we have to do in our life, seeing only what's in front of us to do what's next, but help our ears to be open and attentive to what your spirit may be leading us to do for someone else. I want to pause today, too, and just say to anyone that's here, church, as you continue to pray, that you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Those statements I made, they are so true. When you see Jesus, when you reflect on who Jesus is, when you accept Jesus for who He is, He will change your life. The circumstances around you, I'm not going to lie to you, the circumstances around you may not change immediately, but the way you see yourself in those circumstances can change. Most importantly, He'll save your soul. So I just encourage you today as we worship Him to take a moment and in your words, pray out to Him and ask Him, just repent of yourself as a sinner, of not allowing you to, to li- of living this life only for you, but not allowing yourself to live your life for Him. And say, God, I want to change that. I want to live my life for you, not just me. Accept this forgiveness. Accept what Jesus Christ did for you on the cross. Proclaim him as Lord that he lives today, that he's not still dead and in the tomb. He is risen. Express those words to him. 
Let him change your life. And we want to know, tell somebody, tell somebody you came with, tell somebody you're sitting beside, come up and tell us, let us know, give your life to him. As we close today, as we sing this song together, that we sing during our time of celebration, our praise and our worship, as we sing this song, God, we need a miracle. A lot of times we sing this song, maybe, maybe not, maybe not you, maybe me, maybe it's just me. We sing this song, we're only thinking about what God can do for us. As you sing this song now, as we close, I want you to sing and I want you to think and I want you to make this your prayer. God, I want you to use me. Show me how you can use me to be a part of someone else's miracle. If you need prayer in any way today, we would love for you to reach out to us. You can go to our website, bwccamden.com, go to our contact page. You'll find the link there to uh, request prayer or send us anything that you uh, would like to communicate with us today. Or you can also simply text the word prayer to 803-676-7566. And we will be back in touch with you to find out how we can be in prayer for you. God bless you. We hope that you have a great week.